This is episode 54 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. As Cold Acid pointed out yesterday on No Agenda Social, and by the way, if you don't have a Mastodon account, you're not really communicating because Twitter's not legit, but that's a different opinion. The Pentium chip is now officially 30 years old, and uh, it was it was released on March 23rd of 1993, and way to make me feel old, you jerk, because I was in college at the time, and I first learned about it on the college Unix net, uh, finding out that uh, all of our computers were going to be upgraded to this new supercomputer, which of course didn't work out too well because shortly after the chip was released, there were some problems where Intel had to recall it. It had a problem in the floating point unit where, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that important. It was off by a few fractions of a small decimal point here or there on per particular divisions. Uh, which is really, really critical for accounting software. And that's what made the stink. But for most things, it probably wouldn't even matter. In fact, it'd probably speed up the uh, floating point processing of most modern games that use fuzzy math to whether, decide whether or not you uh, hit your target anyway. Uh, my favorite joke from back then uh, has to do with another big product that came out in 1993 was uh, uh, a day after uh, abortion pill called RU486 which uh, made huge splashes. The people who were, who wanted abortions uh, could not wait to go out and get it. There was lines and everything. And the people who didn't think abortions were a good idea were of course screaming. So that was a huge news story at the time. And my favorite joke about the Pentiums then was uh, that the, what is the successor to RU486? Well, it's called RU Pentium and it prevents the cells from dividing correctly. There were a ton of AI stories in the news this week, kind of like every week for the last six months now. Uh, I'm not going to report on those today. Uh, there's also a ton of political stories wherein politicians the world over are freaking out about technology, about AI, about then. And when politicians freak out, of course, their solution to this is to pass bad laws. I'm not going to report on those either. If you want to hear my political opinions about AI, listen to my other show, Grumpy Old Ben's with Darren O'Neill which should record tomorrow, I hope, uh, barring any kind of catastrophe like Darren discovering he has a life or something. Uh, I would say, though, that, uh, you know, if I was doing tech news back then, at least, it really would have been all about the Pentiums. From the stuck in the past department. I've been a video gamer for most of my life. Uh, I got started on the original NES console that was released in 1986, I think, 85, 86, something like that. I got my first one Christmas of 86, and I was so mad because I was one of the last kids to get it amongst my group, but uh, pretty much played the crap out of that, and then its successor, the Super Nintendo, and then its you know various successors all the way through, um, having been attached to the Microsoft corporation when, when Nintendo handed over to the new 
contenders. I kind of came up through the Xbox side of the consoles. Um, somewhere along the line, though, I became casual. Uh, I decided that the experience by video game developers wasn't always the one that I wanted, especially when games came out and people started cheering for the games that were brutally, so brutally punishing that you could spend an hour on the same section of the game and not make any progress. Some people are really into that. I'm not. That was when I discovered I'm a casual. Uh, I kind of started backing off of a lot of modern games then, but uh, then I got into modding, which a lot resulted in having to abandon consoles. And then somewhere along the line, I started to discover the problems with digital rights and digital libraries. And uh, well, last year I, I let my Xbox subscription expire entirely and lost most access to most of my digital library there, which I can tell you, I put a whole lot of salary into. Um, I also really just for the last few years, haven't been doing new games. Uh, the auto update treadmill has been driving me nuts in every piece of software. And it definitely has come to games. Uh, the constant soulless re-releases of games and uh, the big thing in the last five years or so uh, is always online requirements. The idea that multiplayer is no longer peer-to-peer -peer. multiplayer is always client to server and the servers are always run on some AC2 or some Amazon instance or some Azure instance of somewhere. And uh, one of the results of that is that companies pull the plugs. And so the... Games that I play, oh, the, let's see, the other thing I have in my notes is, uh, that drove me away is, uh, this is part of the woke movement where, uh, the rise of reporting and banning from games, where if you say the wrong thing to the wrong 11 year old who wants sex with your grandmother while teabagging your virtual corpse, you can get banned, not just from that server, not just from that game, but from all games everywhere. Uh, Microsoft is like that. In fact, I believe I ranted about that coming to Minecraft recently, but the result is that uh, the games that I tend to play now are either the ones that are completely open or they tend to be older games. Uh, what do I play on PC these days? They have to be moddable. They have to have, uh, if they have multiplayer at all, it has to be peer to peer. Uh, I play a lot of single player games. Uh, I love me some Borderlands, which uh, all the way up through Borderlands 2 was peer to peer. Um, I still love me some Elder Scrolls, which tend to continue to be, or, uh, you know, the Bethesda games, uh, Elder Scrolls and Fallout, which are deep. They tend to be, um, single player, which means that they're not running on a server, uh, totally stay away from Elder Scrolls online, which is where Bethesda seems to be, uh, dipping their wick these days. But, um, the problem is that even trying to limit myself, and I apologize for this long ass story about myself on a tech news podcast, but I am getting to a point and I am in fact getting to news because my way of gaming is still coming to an end. Um, you know, I made a decision a long time ago to forego the windows 10 experience for reasons that I just stated. Um, I stayed on windows eight, the last windows OS that I feel like I can own my own PC because windows 10 was the first one where Microsoft introduced the uh, non-disableable update treadmill where thou shalt take the software that Microsoft insists no matter what. And the moment that you do not get that choice for your own computer, then it's not your computer. It's Microsoft's computer and you're just renting it. Uh, it might not feel that way and their marketing certainly doesn't say that, but that was why I stayed on Windows 8. It's the last Windows that I felt comfortable with. Um, 
And another thing that I did was, uh, you know, because of my unique situation in my previous career, um, I was paid a nice, decent salary to be a frontline tester for Windows XP, Windows Vista, Windows 7, and Windows 8. Windows 10, I had left the company. And then when they ditched all of their testers and decided that they were just going to release beta products and make uh, the users be their frontline testers, I didn't want to continue being the frontline tester for free. Like, wait a minute, they're not paying me and they want me to keep doing the same thing? So... I stuck to the older operating system. And as you may be aware, a few months ago, Microsoft dropped support for Windows 8. To their credit, they've not prevented my computer from booting. Um, to Microsoft, not supporting literally means that they do not support it anymore. They're just going to let you do what you want with it, which is perfectly fine by me. I'm quite happy when, you know, when I find out about a vulnerability in a service, I shut the service off. I'm like, I don't, I'm not really using that or you know, find an alternative, or if I can, I search for an update and find a way to install it anyway, despite Windows Update's complaints that your operating system isn't usable. Anyway, Google has also, and this, this was a bigger problem, Google dropped support for Windows 8. And this is a bigger problem. Microsoft is a 50-year-old company. It's full of people who lived through the 70s, who understood what freedom was kind of like, um, People who generally or had a, a live and let live, at least part of it, you know, it's not Microsoft today, but there's still quite a few people there and they still seem to be making a lot of the decisions. Google, on the other hand, is full of authoritarian millennials who grew up in regimented minimum security prisons called public schools under zero tolerance policies where they couldn't so much as go take a pee break without asking for permission. That was drilled into the culture of Google from a long time that Authority is everything. And to them, it's unthinkable to Google that someone could possibly run any of their software without their explicit permission. So to Google, not supporting Windows 8 and Chrome meant to write code that actively disables the software if it detects the wrong operating system. Well, that's a lot of background. The news is that Valve is dropping support for Windows 8. Uh, Valve is the maker of the Steam uh, software, the Steam DRM suite. They say Steam Storefront, and yes, you can buy a lot of games at Steam. I've done so. Uh, admittedly, the last game I bought at Steam was Fallout 4 in 2016, I think. But uh, I, I recognized very early on that with Steam DRM, you have a digital library. The Steam client must be running before the game will launch. The game will actually refuse to launch if you have not connected to Valve servers recently. And that's the gist of the problem that I'm having now. Uh, Valve is dropping support because they cited the reason uh, Steam relies on an embedded version of Chrome for its web store. Um, therefore, because Chrome has dropped Windows 7 and Windows 8, Steam is also dropping it. Uh, and... Steam will not be updating or allowing any logins on old operating systems past January of 2024, which means because of the way Steam DRM works, that games will stop working, period. You will not be, I will not be able to launch a single player offline game after January of 2024 because it requires the Steam client for its DRM and the Steam client will not be allowing me to log in anymore. But why? Why is it necessary for Steam to break that scenario? It's the only thing I have anymore. I don't need the store. My games run just fine. They're not cloud connected. 
again, I'm not buying anything from Valve, which is probably why they don't care about me and are actively screwing me in the digital library. But the real reason is that uh, my digital library, for which I've paid Valve a lot of money, is not mine. They're not my games. I don't own the games. Uh, the Steam DRM means that Valve owns them and I am just renting them. And this, this is a rant that's had a long time coming. Valve is a parasite on the gaming industry, has been for a long time. Yes, they offer a storefront. And yes, everybody for the last 20 years, two decades, people have just de facto decided if I'm going to get a new game on the PC, it has to be from Steam. And the problem, you know, what has Valve done exactly other than uh, they made Steam and then they monopolized the PC gaming industry? Oh, well, they released some games. Yeah, Half-Life 2 came out in 2004, 19 years ago. Portal came out in 2007, purchased, by the way, they didn't build that from scratch. I will give them credit for Portal 2, 2011. That's 12 years ago. Um, then what have they done since then? Uh, well, uh, I looked it up on Wikipedia because I really didn't know. Uh they did a bunch of tech demos. They did some VR in 2012. The, the most recent full game that I've seen, they released uh, counter-strike global offensive 2012 was 11 years ago, more than a decade since the last, what I would consider a full real game. And Oh, by the way, counter-strike case, anybody wasn't around and playing games back in the nineties was a mod for half-life developed by the community. And without valves permission, they just co-opted the mod and then released it as a game in 2012. Okay, great. Well, they're out of ideas. They're not really developing anything. There's, uh, oh, some VR games. Yeah, sure. Whatever people use VR people, fewer people use VR than use the, in the Wii U or 3D. Oh, that, that story comes later. Anyway. Uh, and even back in the day, you know, I spent time on online forums. Uh, Half-Life 3 was always a joke. Whenever Valve said anything, had any kind of a release, and anybody said anything about Valve, the joke that was going for many years was, oh, Half-Life 3 has been confirmed. But they took so long to release, they still never even hinted that there would be a Half-Life 3, despite the fact that Half-Life 2 ended on a cliffhanger. Nobody even tells the joke anymore. What does Valve have? Valve has Steam. Valve has their license to print money. They cornered a monopoly on the PC gaming space. They sell that monopoly. They force every PC gamer in existence to run their broken ass storefront with, which has a freaking automatic required update every two weeks to run it or your game does not, you're offline, single player, non-cloud connected, 12 year old Elder Scrolls 4 was, is, none of it. None of it will run unless you are up to date and signed in to this Steam library. Why? Because they have a cash cow and they want to milk every drop of blood from that stone. It's a license to print money and other companies have attempted storefronts, but you know, Epic tried to make a storefront. Uh, uh, the Ubisoft tried to make a storefront. They, but they're all doing exactly the same thing that valve does. So they're not getting any benefit from, or any, pity from me. They, they implement DRM. There's always online content. They, uh, they force you to run a program, most of which is crap. I will never use the only piece of the program. I'm even remotely interested is the tiny little service that the game has to connect to so I can launch my game. But no, yeah, the 
you know, they have a big overlay. They have, they use up resources on my computer that I don't want, especially since I'm not buying a new computer every five minutes, like gamers are supposed to. Why would I want another one of those? I already, I'm already stuck with the steam one because of my investment in steam library. And the only storefront that gets it right that I'm aware of is good, uh, good old games. And uh, they don't support that many. Now I know that I'm, making a lot of complaints about nothing less than two people according or two less than two people, almost less than 2% of steam users, according to the latest steam survey are still on windows seven or windows eight, 98% of steam users are using other platforms. The vast majority of those windows 10 or 11. So this probably doesn't affect you. Um, I, I should be looking at this and seeing it as an excuse to reduce my video game time, get more useful things done, do more podcasts, whatever. Um, the simple fact is I won't be on windows eight much longer, but I'm not going to be on windows much longer. Uh, I'm, I'm actually testing now for the last few weeks, dual booting this computer on Ubuntu, but I have not settled into a position where I like on it. I, I I've, I'm the kind of person who very much customizes my system for every aspect of it. I like what my system has been. Uh, it's going to be real hard to get a, a situation I like, but all of these companies, are pushing and pushing, pushing and going, oh, we're sorry, you are forced off of your comfortable OS and into things that, I don't know, you know, it's really just me being a Luddite probably, which is why I'm so good at doing tech news is because I hate technology so much at this point. You know what? I'm going to respin this. This is really just a cautionary tale about digital libraries. Uh, if you have a digital library, you don't own it, you're renting it. Uh, it's inevitable. I think history has shown at this point, it is inevitable when you buy things that are stuck in a digital library that you do not own them. The company that does own them will eventually pull the rug out and invalidate all of your purchases. Question is not if it's when. Okay. Let's do some less ranty news from the, you broke it, you bought it department. Amidst all of the other hacks going on this week, uh, this turned out to be one of the less interesting stories, but I teased it last week and I'm a man of my word. So, Pwn to Own 2023 happened March 22nd through 24th in Vancouver, British Columbia. It says Vancouver. I know there's one in, in the US also, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was VPC. But anyway, uh, here's a quick rundown of the three-day event of uh, what software was cracked, hacked, broken, and uh, you should probably avoid until it's patched. On the plus side, these companies, most of them are pretty good about patching it, but uh, these, this is kind of a who's who of bugs you did not know existed. Uh, Haboob, S, Haboob, Haboob SA, a security firm, I don't know the names of most of these firms, um, found a bug in Adobe Reader. Uh, they hacked six bugs. Uh, it, their hack chain took six bugs, multiple failed patches, and they managed to escape the sandbox and bypass a banned API list on Adobe Reader on Mac OS. Um, they got 50,000 for that. Uh, that's one thing Hapone to Own does is they, when you find a hack that nobody's seen before, uh, the judges will judge your hack and you get money based on how impressive your hack was. Uh, Star Labs found a zero day exploit in SharePoint, made a cool hundred thousand on that because of how much share, how many people use SharePoint. Star Labs also found a uh, previously known or used a previously known but unpatched exploit in Ubuntu to get an elevation of privileges. They got 15K for that. It's only low because it was previously known. 
but still not patched. Uh, Synactive used a timing exploit to gain entry into a Tesla Model 3. Uh, made a cool 100K on that. Uh, Synactive also used a timing exploit to escalate privileges on Mac OS. Got 40K. Uh, Curios used an out-of-band read, uh, uh, out-of-band read and a stack buffer overflow exploit chain to or exploit chain to escape the sandbox in Oracle VirtualBox. Got a cool 40K for that. Uh, Marcin Wiazowski demonstrated an improper input validation zero day to elevate privileges in Windows 11. Got 30K for that. Uh, another Oracle virtual, bo- virtual box, Synactive, used a three-bug chain. Uh, this is day two. A three-bug chain, two of the bugs were previously unknown to snatch a cool 80K. Uh, Team Vitel on day two found a two-bug chain in Microsoft Teams, which managed to let them get elevation of privileges and uh, exfiltration of corporate data. 75,000. Synactive used an exploit chain, including a heap overflow and out-of-band write to break into and unlock the Tesla infotainment system. Uh, they, uh, cor- uh, uh, that hack, they were able to uh, run arbitrary software on the infotainment system. But the thing that I think most Tesla owners would really like about it was that they were able to turn on the infotainment system and watch movies while the car was driving. 250,000. Uh, Team Vitel found an uninitialized variable in Oracle VirtualBox and uh, chained it with a user after free bug to break out of the sandbox. 40K. Um, Synactive found an incorrect pointer scaling bug leaving, leading to an escalation of privileges in Ubuntu. 30K. Um, day three of Ponto Own was not good for Ubuntu. ASU Cephcom found a double free zero, K, zero day. Uh, for 30k, Theory found a use after free zero day for 30k. Uh, Curios found a use after free zero day, which is unpatched but was previously known. They only got 15k for that one. Uh, Synactive found another bug in Windows 11, uh, a UAF uh, use after free, leading to an escalation of privileges in a fully patched Windows 11 as of the day of the uh, of the uh, contest. So 30K for that one. And Star Labs on day three found an uninitialized variable and use after free, chained them together and managed to break out of a VMware box, 80K. Um, I know that there wasn't a whole lot of details here. The the article will be in the show notes, but uh, my hope here is that the blast of bugs listed uh, might make users think a little twice about uh, the software or more importantly, maybe it ought to humble a few corporate programmers because frankly, they sure could use it. From the camel nose tent department. I know I keep coming back to digital libraries. This valve story has got me well steamed, but anyway, audible, the de facto name in audiobooks, is trying out something new. They are putting ads into the audiobooks that you download. They are, uh, according to a, a damage control press release by the company, they are only conducting limiting te- limited testing right now and that uh, they only have ad-supported access to a limited set of titles for non-paying customers only and that you will never see more than eight ads in any 24-hour period. Um, 
all of those aside, what's happening is that Amazon ads are being inserted into podcasts, traditional audiobooks, and Audible original com, uh, content, which you get from Audible. Uh, in on their website, where they explain why they've decided to do this, they explain in uh, very succinctly that they are dedicated to continuously optimizing how we deliver audio programming to listeners everywhere, which makes about as much sense to me as it does to you, I think. Um, raise your hand, by the way, if you think that interrupting your novel right at the murder scene to tell you about a monthly bento box subscription is somehow optimal reading experience. But I digress. Audible, which is owned by Amazon, is diving headfirst down the slippery slope with this one. Business is down. The economy is down. Uh, all these companies find themselves grasping at revenue streams, hoping to ride out the Biden recession. Uh, but the problem is that once they decide that you really don't mind ads all that much, then it'll be more than eight ads in a 24 hour period. It'll be a few more. It'll be 12. It'll be 30. It'll be a few more, a few more. Then eventually you're getting to every ads, every five minutes, then two ads, every five minutes, then three ads, every five minutes. And pretty soon they become YouTube. Is that really what you want out of your digital library? From the yanking your supply chain department in what is being termed the biggest supply chain hack since SolarWinds and Log4j, security firms CrowdStrike, Sophos, and Sentinel One have all separately published details of an attack on software from VoIP company 3CX. 3CX is a company, if, if you're just an end user, probably haven't heard of. They make virtual PBX and software and software-based phones. Uh, their primary customers are corporations. They claim that they have, they say that they have more than 600,000 organizations worldwide as customers. And they also say that they have 12 million daily users. Uh, if you're at a corporate office, then there's a good chance that you have a 3CX phone in your office or the 3CX software on your computer for the purpose of corporate telephoning. Well, the problem is somewhere along the line, somebody has managed to in, infect 3CX's supply chain. There is now out in the wild a trojanized 3CX desktop app MSI installer. Uh, in the MSI, uh, the 3CX desktop app.exe, the program itself is clean, but the installer includes a malicious FFmpeg DLL, which is loaded anytime that you are trying to either play back an audio MPEG or uh, you, the, it, I guess it's loaded when you do video calls. It's not really clear, but either way, the FM, FFmpeg DLL is what's uh, hacked. What the companies, uh, the security, all three security companies have found at various points is that the compromised software harvests system info, exfiltrates corporate data, grabs stored credentials from Chrome, Edge, Brave, and Firefox. Although I have to ask why the hell is anybody still letting your browser store your credentials? Oh, that's right. Convenience. Uh, this, uh, the hacked software spawns a remote command shells on uh, receipt of a signal from the internet and it downloads payloads from the internet to run arbitrary code, uh, including quote, hands-on keyboard activity. Basically, once you install this infected MSI, the system now belongs to the hackers. It's not yours and it's not the corporations. Um, this is pretty freaking bad uh, for uh, core, you know, because if you're in corporate IT, you know just how many systems are going to have to be cleaned and how many, how much of the business 
you're going to have to disrupt in order to get this stuff off the system. If you're using three CX and managed to get one of these bad packages, the exploit was first spotted on March 22nd. Um, it, the malware package was in fact signed. Uh, they pointed out that uh, it was signed by Apple, meaning that it passed Apple's security checks and was able to appear in the Mac OS app store. Um, it also had digital signatures from three CX and uh, was available in. Okay. I don't know what the hell that note means. Uh, somebody slapped previous me for writing bad notes. Anyway, three uh, CX spokespersons, Pierre Jordan called this an advanced persistent threat and said uh, it is likely a state actor thing, uh, pointing to no, a possibility of North Korea. Uh, many news outlets like Ars Technica and Axios immediately jumped on this and just outright said in the top of the story and headline that it's definitely North Korea hacking 3CX. Uh, from the evidence that I actually saw, it does seem likely that uh, it's a state actor and North Korea is is a definitely a strong suspect, but I'm not as certain as... Uh, as the blogs are who want, uh, they, they really just want clicks. So that's why they come out and say it. Um, the evidence that they have is, uh, IP addresses, uh, many of which the, the downloadable payload IP addresses, several of them are in North Korea, uh, not all, some are in Russia, some are in China, whatever. Um, and there are strings in the payload that are in the Korean language. Okay. Well, we know both of those can be easily spoofed. So maybe it's North Korea. Maybe it's not. For all I know, it is the US CIA performing, uh, I don't know why, I did, messing with people's heads, which seems to be what they do. Um, either way, uh, <laughs> the fact that everybody says, oh, North Korea, North Korea, North Korea, should probably tell you more about the news outlets than about the malware. And finally, from the stepping on the long tail department, on the topic of retro gaming, if you happen to have a Nintendo Wii U or a Nintendo 3DS, you can no longer buy games in their official eShops. Users have been unable to add funds to the eShop since August, and now, as of March 27th, their eShops are shut off. You can no longer browse games or purchase them. Uh, there are over a thousand digital games which are Wii U or 3DS exclusive and will be completely unavailable at any price now. Uh, most of the games for the 3, 3DS and Wii U, by the way, take advantage of uh, some very, very custom hardware to those consoles. The controllers have a touch screen for the Wii U. Um, the 3DS has uh, two screens, touch screen, alternate stuff. Uh, they have pen input, whatever. Uh, so the result is that a lot of these games, even if the developers wanted to port them to another console that isn't being shut down, uh, it's going to be extremely difficult. Most won't bother because the games are very much built for the, the custom interface, custom hardware, and that's going to be hard to port. So uh, what you're going to get is a lot of games that you just straight can't get anymore. If you haven't already purchased them, um, at least 450 of the games counted are digital only and therefore cannot be purchased anywhere for any price unless well, okay, unless you manage to learn to find a bootlegged, co uh, bootlegged copy somewhere and sideload it, but that's piracy. Nintendo would never recommend that. Um, the other, the remainder, the other half of the games do ha exist in physical copies, but since new physical copies aren't being sold, the console, <laughs> the, the physical copies, by the way, are uh, old enough 
to have cartridge slots. So there, there are physical cartridges for a lot of these, which means you can't just slap it on a CD-ROM. Uh, you can't, you, you, the, the physical media is not being made anymore. So the result is uh, if you can find one at all, the price is just skyrocketing already. Um, now, if you did happen to buy a game in the Nintendo online eShop, what, what the hell is the name eShop? Can you not just call it a, like a virtual store or did web store? No eShop. It sounds so 2003, but anyway, uh, if you happen to have bought a game from the eShop, then you can still re-download it for now. Uh, that is until Nintendo shuts down the servers completely after which your 3DS game collection goes the same place as my Steam library. Anyway, angry thanks go out to Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, Valley, Rachel Zimmerman, and Christopher Reamer for their donations to Angry Tech News via PayPal, and for Satoshi boosts from Curtis Peterson, Servo, and Joel W., who were boosted using uh, a modern podcast app at podcastapps.com, or at least one of those that I happen to know uses the command line, man, after my own heart. Okay, people, I know the economy isn't good, and uh, everyone's tightening their belts. Statistically, donations to good causes are always the first expense on the chopping block when budgets get tight. The irony of it is that donations to Angry Tech News are way down, right? As I have finally settled into a consistent release schedule every single week. That said, I do really appreciate the producers who come in month after month. Uh, $5 a month is the most common amount for people to donate, and it is such a small expense for the value that I feel like I provide. Well, that assumes that you're getting value from this show, because otherwise, why the hell are you listening this far into it? But $5 a month, that's that's half. Once a month, that's half of a $10 cup of sugar with a splash of burned coffee flavor at most corporate coffee stands. Anyway, okay, enough whining. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We do not take sponsors, we do not pay ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. So if you received any value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, even if it's just the cost of a cup of coffee. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry.